welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. I'm Chris. And this week we are talking about fear in Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. So as always, we'll, we'll start by asking each other a question. Do you like being scared? I do not like being scared. Not a fan of scary movies or I'm anything? I'm not a scary movie person. Do not watch horror movies. Suspense, like movies and shows, I can watch. If that's like their main selling point, then I don't bother. But if it's, you know, there, there's suspense in a lot of things. Mm. Uh, because obviously, like, I can enjoy Sherlock and things like that, which have a, a good amount of suspense sometimes. But I, I don't just like being scared. I don't, and I don't like the the feeling. Like some people like that feeling of, you know, something's gonna like pop out at mm. you. I don't like that feeling. I know it is, and I don't, I don't like it. Yeah, for sure. I can see a little bit of it, like watching a movie or something that is scary makes it so that the fear is kind of contained and and has a face because I know a lot of my fears are very kind of ethereal and so having something that actually like gains form as something to fear is maybe something a little bit more manageable. You want us to get you a bogart? Uh sure yeah that'd be very interesting (laughs) (laughs) but Generally, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of scary movies either. They just because they don't really appeal to me typically by theme, but there have been some that I've really enjoyed. I think that Cabin in the Woods is a really good example of one that like because it's just done well and done interesting and compellingly, it really kind of brings me in 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 ways that I do find compelling even with that that scariness. Mm-hmm. But like I think part of the problem too is that oftentimes like horror movies not all the time but oftentimes is kind of gendered too totally and so it's like it's not fun for me to think about someone chasing me down and trying to murder me Mm -hmm. you know i'm a woman that could actually happen to me not that it can't happen to men but it's more likely gonna happen to a woman right and so it's just no thank you (laughs) i think about that without watching the movies so for sure yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah well something we're not afraid of is some of Tenzin's wise words. Good transition. <laughs> Would we call that good? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so we have a quote to start us out, and it's from the first book of Legend of Korra. It's after Korra has interacted with Amon already, and she has lost, and she has a lot of fear. And Tenzin has some words for her. Admitting your fears is the first and most difficult step in overcoming them. Nice Tenzin voice. I thought so. (laughs) But yeah, I think think there's a lot of truth to that quote. I think that a lot of times people act out in just a lot of other ways, whether you're a child and you act out because of fear, or I think once you become an adult, you act out in other ways because... (laughs) You're less okay just saying that you're afraid. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it can just take a lot of different forms. But just being able to admit it, being able to say I'm afraid of this, I think is a really big step that can help, you know, have those fears not have quite as much control over you. Because when it's all in your head, sometimes it can be a lot bigger than when you actually hear it said and it's like, Maybe that's not very likely, or you can kind of take a step away. Yeah, once it's out there. 
Yeah, but that that vulnerability that comes with that mm-hmm. is, I think, really difficult uh, for many people of, you know, having to show that there is something that you know that you can't control and that you are worried about and that you're fearful of. And that, yeah, that brings in a huge amount of vulnerability for you. And this can even be the case when you're admitting it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. I mean, and I think it's interesting because fear is kind in in those situations is it's twofold right because it's fear of whatever you're afraid of but it's also the fear of the vulnerability so Mm. you have to kind of face two different fears at once absolutely well do you have a character for us today i do i thought that this would be an interesting character to ring because i don't think that he is did you say ring like ring him up to ring yeah to, to call on the phone the avatar phone um to bring you haven't shared the number with me <laughs> an interesting character because they aren't particularly fearful I, I don't think this would be the one of the first things that you'd think of when you think of this character but i'd like to see how fear interacts with ang and as a character mm. because the first thing that we don't necessarily see ang doing but the first action he takes chronologically in the show is to run away from the air nomads, Mm -hmm. because he's afraid of change. And he's afraid of what it means to be the Avatar. Well, he's afraid of being taken away from his home. Mm -hmm. And that fear is is so powerful for him and leads to a decision that becomes so disastrous in some ways that I think it just shows that fear is a motivator, especially for, again, a child like that, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And I think that goes back to why Aang is such a, an amazing character, because he has all this responsibility, all this power, and all of this weight on his shoulders as a young, young child. And the way that he, he engages with that and interacts with that is, I think, very, very interesting and, and very compelling, because we see that from the very beginning, how as a child, he doesn't always know how to master his fears and mm-hmm. how to engage with that in a way that is like a mature or adult way of doing that and you know he literally runs away i certainly want to run away all the time but usually i adult myself through it and and do what i need to do but yeah it's it's an interesting way of looking at him because he's such a an easygoing light-hearted character mm-hmm. but he also has these huge weights on him that bring intense fear as well yeah it's interesting because it would be interesting to think about what he would be like if he would have many fears or what sort of fears he would have if he wasn't the Avatar. Mm-hmm. Because he is so easygoing and flexible and he loves play and is excited about so many things. And despite being the Avatar and having so much on his shoulders, he's able to maintain that most of the time, but then there are some times where he just can't and mm. he he breaks and so whether that's running away, like you mentioned, or kind of towards the end of the series, when he is so afraid and so stressed out that he just can't sleep. That was and the other thing I was gonna bring up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just like days on end he can't sleep, which probably most of us can relate to to some degree. If I was him <laughs> I would not have been able to sleep, like, the entire time, probably. Mm-hmm. Like, people are chasing us. They want to kill me. They want to oppress the entire world. 
but I think it's really it's really good for him and for the team to not have him so dragged down by all those fears most of the time or else they just wouldn't have been able to do much of anything Mm -hmm. and I, I love that episode in particular I think it's called nightmares and daydreams because it also shows us how his fears take shape right yeah in these kinds of hallucinatory daydreams and nightmares that he has and I think that that's so interesting because we do see Aang's childlike nature at play there as well like he's going up against Ozai for math tests or like and he forgets his pants or you know these other kinds of ways that are just very interesting and goofy and funny but are clearly so so difficult for him yes it's just a math test but he wakes up and he is distraught he refuses to go back to sleep because of it and it's just so overwhelming for him that even though it's through this kind of comedic representation it still has real fraught and intense consequences of what's going to happen to him and i think that that is just yeah a really interesting view into his mind and into how he deals with with fear and stress i mean for perfectionists tests are real sources (laughs) of fear He's an anger perfectionist? I don't know. But his dreams would point to yes. Because <laughs> I graduated about nine years ago from college. And I still have stressful dreams about a test I didn't study for. Or I have a paper due and I haven't started on it. And I haven't even read the book. Like, I will still periodically have those dreams. That's funny because I will I will have more of the kind of dreams of like oh I don't have my pants. <laughs> like, <laughs> mine's the social social anxiety and stress. Yours is the perfectionist. Yeah. Well, and and so that's what is interesting, and I like how they kind of capture that. Obviously, he knows facing the fire lord is not going to be anything like those things, mm-hmm. but that's just what his subconscious puts in there because this is a source of anxiety mm-hmm. that he's felt before anxiety anxiety <laughs> hashtag anxiety <laughs> with two a's yeah yeah and then the other thing that i think that he's interestingly afraid of and that comes up that episode as well is changing his relationship with katara he has these feelings throughout basically the whole series and it takes a very long time for him to really address them and, you know, I think part of that is because obviously they are focused on more important things. But I also see there being a an element of fear, especially because we see that daydream of his there as well, where he confesses to her in a very, very bad, terrible, cliche way. And yeah, it's just an, another interesting kind of thing that I see him engaging with. Yeah. But I also really like that at the end of that episode, what's able to help him calm his fears is his community is Mm. his family his friends coming around him and reassuring him and just being there for him and supporting him and you know they make an adorable little bed out of what were those type of were they were they something sheep or were they just normal sheep i'm sure they were something sheep yeah dog sheep (laughs) i I don't know (laughs) but this like fluffy little pillow bed and they yeah they're just there until he falls asleep and Mm. i think that's really beautiful because obviously not all of our fears would be quelled by friends and family and just intense support but 
some of them would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what plot did you bring? So for me, I wanted to kind of talk about uh, fear in terms of the plot lines for Legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. Because I think what people are afraid of in this series kind of changes from season to season because Korra definitely juxtaposed to The Last Airbender. The Last Airbender is one kind of trajectory, mm-hmm. one big bad for the end to mm. to fight. Whereas is Korra, it has a different one every season, right? So first you have the non-benders who are afraid of benders mm-hmm. and afraid that benders will either oppress them or oppress them more than they already have, mm-hmm. right? And obviously there's this long history of that oppression because when the the fire nation was there in a lot of their communities they were able to maintain power through their firebending mm. for for the most part and so I, I love that 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 element is in there because that is a severe fear that you would have if you don't have these special bending abilities and other people do have them they can pretty much do whatever they want to Mm. you and there's not much you can do about it and so that was a super important point to make and i'm glad that they they went there because you just think of like yay bending good but not always Mm -hmm. right and and who's it good for but then in a couple seasons from there you have a lot of fear from benders themselves over the Red Lotus, right? That that group of four people who are just so good at what they do. And obviously three of them have bending and the fourth one gets it. And they're just kind of like this unstoppable force. And so then you the fear changes to not necessarily between ability and not ability, but intensive ability against people who have some ability, right? But there's still this gap and it's still that dichotomy that creates this fear and then then in the last season the fear kind of changes it's not really around bending anymore it's around technology Mm. because by the end it doesn't really like sure bending is is still important for power but it's at the end of the day not going to decide these wars once you have certain technology that can harness other forces and cause mass destruction and so yeah i think i just found it interesting how those fears change every season and then in season two you have fear of the spirits and the Mm -hmm. spirit world and that's a very different type of power that that anybody who's not a bender or that specifically is not the avatar would often be afraid of right because it's it's just this very unknown source of power that they can't you know do much against yeah that's a really interesting point because we definitely see a lot of of fear motivating people. I think it also fear is a good way that is used to other people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we see that in use with benders versus non-benders or, you know, the Republic City versus the new Earth Kingdom, you know, nationalist yeah. front and all these other kinds of ideas. And I think that Korra is also a really good perspective on that because she is such a confident person. That when she is afraid, it really, really shows, right? Yeah. Uh, as our quote shows, that, that when she gets scared, it is 
a big deal, and I think that also helps to legitimize these villains, you know, in these short episode series or episode books, you know, mm-hmm. where it's only a villain for 13 episodes or whatever it is. Like, giving them the weight that they need when Korra's afraid of them, we can kind of see why that fear might be warranted. Absolutely, and I I think it, it shows to some degree how difficult it can be to fight against fear as a motivator Mm -hmm. because if it's motivating people how do you how do you undo that granted they didn't necessarily carry over as much as i think they could Mm -hmm. just because amon isn't there anymore doesn't mean that the equalizers would kind of disappear right really you would just have so many different fronts of fear motivating people for different things it also makes me wonder if those equalizers who are able to like stop chakra and stuff the way mm-hmm. that Ty Lee was able to like if they learn that ability out of fear of benders right mm-hmm. because there's a good good mm-hmm. portion of people who learned it by the time of the equalists and I th- wonder if uh if there was a, a group of people who through that fear wanted to gain whatever power they could yeah absolutely I mean if I was a non-bender in that world I would want to learn that mm-hmm. it doesn't permanently undo their power just temporarily they can't use it against you to burn your face yeah yeah that would be good yeah not that his face is actually burnt no uh, yeah it's true i was kind of thinking about zuko but uh yeah that's a good point <laughs> but what about your compelling question mm, my compelling question is in looking at the authoritarian styles of government that we see in Avatar, Mm -hmm. particularly things like the Fire Nation or the rulers of Ba Sing Se. How do you see fear playing out? And to be more specific, who do you see as being more afraid? Those who are ruling or those who are ruled? Hmm. That's an interesting question because when you have bossing say in mm. the last airbender the king isn't really that afraid because he's so oblivious mm. to everything that's going on however long fang seemed to be scared mm-hmm. of if this information gets out there i will lose my control and not only will i lose my control because i've kept this information from the king and he might not be happy about that but also, I might lose control over the people of Bossing Say. Mm-hmm. Because if they get scared about this war that's taking place outside their borders, he doesn't know what that's going to look like, right? And so you do see his reach for more control being fueled by that. Mm. And even the Fire Lord kind of passed down so much fear of the avatar i mean that was the whole thing let's wipe out the air nomads because we're so afraid that this avatar will stop these plans Mm -hmm. and so you see with the people who are ruling them just try to assert more control when they're afraid but the people who are being ruled a lot of the time by the time if if we're talking about the last airbender specifically it's been a hundred years. Mm-hmm. These people have been so worn down that it's less fear and it's more just submission. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's kind of 
what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because you, you really hit on how both the, the Fire Nation and the rulers of Bossing say are people who are trying to maintain control because of a fear of an outside force, right? Mm -hmm. A fear of the chaos of war, a fear of the power of the Avatar, you know, a fear of of whatever it might be. But they mobilize massive amounts of resources to ensure things go the ways they want to in order to mitigate those fears. But on the other hand, you also see at times, the terror that they use to maintain that control. And so yeah. looking at, for example, the guides that they have to take them around Bossing Say, who are so scared for their lives every time the Avatar does anything out that they're not supposed to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and with good reason, because, you know, they'll have their memories erased or they'll, you know, be, be brainwashed or, or punished by the Dai Li. And, and the Dai Li as a secret police analog is also really fascinating totally Um, to see them in comparison to something like the kgb or the ss as something where they are gaining information on everyone so that it leads to massive distrust between anyone Mm -hmm. and that i think is is very very interesting but i think that you bring up an interesting point of this idea of submission submission versus fear i would say that for example the water tribe the southern water tribe they live in fear because of the attacks that keep coming in or they keep are, are capturing people or attacking people, right? I think that's really interesting way of looking at that, but we well, also... Well, they have a different kind of fear because most of their people were wiped out, mm-hmm. right, or taken. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I guess I, I don't have an answer to this myself. I just, I see how fear motivates the oppression of people. And they then use fear as a tactic uh, of that oppression. Mm-hmm. hmm Yeah. Well, what was your question for me? So my question is, do you think avatars feel fear while they're in the avatar state? Mm, interesting. So the avatar state itself is a very interesting thing that we never really get explained. Clearly, it's like they mentioned how it's some sort of connection with the avatars in the past, right? Past selves. But also with Rava, right? Right, and with Rava itself. And so I think that it's interesting because that connection, that kind of communal existence, leads to just kind of an intense focus on what needs to be done, right? Mm -hmm. That's how we always see it happening in that state to the detriment sometimes, right? Where Aang becomes afraid of the Avatar state itself and Mm -hmm. of himself, which is something that we totally could have covered. But... I think that that's interesting because maybe that might be the detriment of the Avatar state is that it doesn't have that fear. So it cares so little about consequences and being paralyzed by fear is obviously a problem, but having fear of consequences is also important in maintaining responsibility. Absolutely. And for a person as powerful as the Avatar, maintaining your power responsibly is even more important. So I can understand why Aang, especially as, again, a child who is overwhelmed by his power, mm-hmm. being afraid of that because it itself has no fear. Yeah, because that, that's kind of along the lines of what I was thinking, is that it seems like, yeah, there's no fear about what'll happen when they're in the Avatar state. So there's no fear of, am I going to hurt people? Am I going to kill people? What are going to be the ramifications of this? What's going to be left? Is this going to be complete destruction? It doesn't seem like any of those thoughts are there. 
And even at the end of book two, he finally is able to go into and master his avatar state. Mm -hmm. And it's in that moment, he wasn't being vigilant that he almost dies, Mm. right? And so I think that it does seem to almost flood the avatar with such power that they feel invincible. And in a lot of ways, they almost are, but not in all the ways. And it's interesting, but I do like that it's not just like physical power, but it's also the power of the knowledge and experiences of generations of avatars just going, stretching back thousands of years. And yeah, I can imagine that that would feel pretty empowering. Yeah, and that's that's really fascinating too because as you mentioned, you, you know, you are overcome with so much power that you kind of sense a, a feeling of invincibility. Mm-hmm. But there's also an element of vulnerability Absolutely. where that's their most vulnerable place because that's the one place that the avatar link can be broken. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting coin to flip as as an avatar to choose when to go into the avatar state because it does give you that kind of sense of power and that sense of fearlessness, but it also is bringing you into a place when you should be most cautious, you know, mm-hmm. arguably. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Mm, Avatar, you're doing such clever things in the background of this TV show. <laughs> didn't realize that until just right now. I really didn't, no. Well, why don't we go on to our missed opportunities? Would you like to go first? Sure. So... My missed opportunity is that, with the exception of Aang, like what we were just talking about, Mm -hmm. the fact that he has done so much destruction with his Avatar state made him not even want to go into it at all. Mm -hmm. So outside of that, I think that there could have at least been more fear of bending itself from the bender's Mm -hmm. perspective. And we do see that a little bit again with Aang, when he tries to learn firebending, mm-hmm. right? And Zhang Zhang, you know, he kind of had distrust of, of firebending himself. And Aang was just like, yay, I can bend this new element. It's fun. I love mm-hmm. play. And because he's not careful, it gets out of hand, right? And then he's just like, I never want to firebend again. And he doesn't learn again until the end of book three. And so I think... You see a little bit with Aang, this fear of his own power, but you don't really see it with other people. Mm. It should be terrifying. You can kill people. Mm-hmm. Like, you can absolutely kill, maim, hurt, destroy so many things with these powers. And so much of the time, we don't nece- we didn't necessarily see that fear. And we didn't necessarily see even the masters who would maybe train people in it sharing that caution. Hmm. Because, yeah, like, when you're throwing icicles at someone, like, that can just straight up kill them. So, yeah, I think there's so much danger that comes with bending. Not that that needs to be the sole focus, because again, it's a kid show and it's it's fun and it's interesting and it's exciting. Right. But if they just had to like maybe a little bit more in there with that, I think that that could have been great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I totally see what you mean. It's something that that is one of the things I love about X Men. One of the many things I love about the X Men is that <laughs> you know they they as mutants are hated and feared. They're persecuted, but 
there is an element of, you know, there are villains who are using these powers to kill people. And so mm -hmm. it makes sense to fear Magneto and to fear the destruction that these powers can cause, particularly when they are used in ways that people are either trying to hurt people or don't know how to control them. And that fear makes sense. And I don't think that it justifies oppression and persecution and hatred of others, but that fear at least does make sense. And I think that that is something that they could have explored a bit more in the show yeah yeah because i know if i was a bender i would definitely feel that fear totally. like anytime i was trying something new i'd be like i'm gonna do this everybody clear the area <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely yeah well, what about you what's your missed opportunity i think my missed opportunity is that in avatar of the last airbender in particular because they are so focused on this one mission to fight ozai and to defeat the fire nation their fears are kind of focused on that mission as well mm -hmm. and so we don't get to see the kind of more natural fears that come with life right fears mm. of acceptance or vulnerability or fears of success or or you know um, finding your place or finding community and things like that. I think that these are all the kinds of fears that we see in, you know, in life. And that fear is obviously a very important factor in how people live their lives generally. Mm -hmm. But we don't get to see that with Team Avatar. And one, because they're, they're kids. And two, because we only see them on this one focused mission. And so it's one of the regrets that I also have about, you know, how Korra doesn't really go back to what happened after the original series that much right mm. we get very very small glimpses but i would love to see you know what it was like for them to continue and start trying to build their lives and how they grapple with the fears that come with growing up mm -hmm. yeah i totally agree at the same time i'm like well when people are in war and like especially if they're running from it their fears are going to be a little more focused. Of course. But yeah, I I totally agree. And I think you get to see it a little bit more with the Fire Nation. Like when Zuko goes back and he's in kind of mm. the good graces. And you, you see a little bit more of just daily life-ish stuff. But yeah, I think it definitely could have made the yeah, other characters a little more deep and a little more rich if we had had that. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Well, why don't we come to our conclusions, our lessons learned? What do you take away from this discussion? Well, so I was, when you when you were talking about just kind of like daily fears, yeah, I, I was thinking about like fears in terms of romantic relationships. And then that led me to remember, I was like, oh, but this is such a great quote. We could have used it too. <laughs> when May tells Azula you miscalculated mm. I love Zuko more than I fear you oh yeah I know right such a good quote so good I just feel like that is a really powerful powerful idea I love something more than I fear something else mm -hmm. and like that is such a like love can be such a good motivator and such a better motivator than fear if we would societally tap into that you know mm -hmm. that it's like i love my neighbor more than i fear change mm -hmm. or more than i fear uh, i'm thinking about you know recently the u.s government has talked about putting 
the Muslim Brotherhood on the labeling it officially as like a terrorist organization, mm-hmm. right? And and really just tapping into that fear that already exists for people who are Islamophobic. And if it's I love my neighbor, I love people in general, humans more than I fear any harm that could come to me, which mm-hmm. is also very, 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 very unlikely to happen mm-hmm. to you, right? The percentage likelihood is just ridiculous compared to the amount of fear that there is, right? And so I think that idea is like, no, let's focus on what we love and the values we actually have, and those can supersede our fears. That's so nice. <laughs> Such a great lesson. Oh, yay. Finally, <laughs> I'll go back to some positives. <laughs> What about you? I think my takeaway is that from this discussion, and I think the last few that we've had about Avatar, I'm really seeing how well the creators do at engaging in how regimes maintain power and what tactics they use for legitimization and for control. And we see so many different types of political environments, right? We see a republic with Republic City. We see an empire with the Fire Nation, right? We see a nomadic group with the nomads, right? We see, see all these kinds of different types of, of polities, and we get to see how within these issues like fear or nationalism or these other types of ideas come to play. And I guess I think that of the properties that we cover, I think I'm really realizing how Avatar focuses on society and what it means to be a society under specific types of control or governments or systems and how that affects that society. And I think that Avatar does that in a way that is better than the other things that we're covering, right? I think it's really engaging with this in a way that is just amazingly in-depth and there's so much to chew on there and to engage with, even within a, a kid's TV show. Mm-hmm. It's one of the many things Avatar does amazingly. It's so good. You should watch it. It's really good. (laughs) Yeah. If you haven't watched it before, why are you listening to this episode? (laughs) Yeah, right? Why did you go 40 minutes into this episode before? (laughs) (laughs) But regardless, watch it or watch it again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't you pull up what we'll be covering in two weeks? Why two weeks, Chris? Oh, that's a very good question, Brittany. Thanks for asking. We're going to be covering this next topic in two weeks because next week we're going to have a special one-year anniversary episode. What? We've been doing this for a year? A whole year, I had no idea. It's not like we already recorded that episode. Not at all. (laughs) Yes, so next week we'll be putting out a special podcast episode where we will be discussing, kind of looking at the year in retrospect and also looking ahead. And that's going to be very, very important. We'll also have a very special guest on, so it's highly encouraged that you listen and that you take a look. But after that, what we'll be covering. So we're going to be going back to Star Wars. Yes. And we are going to be looking at Defiance. Defiance and Star Wars. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find us on social media by searching for Geek Between the Lines on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Pinterest. You can also go to our website, bit.ly slash geekbetweenthelines. We also want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. 
And we want to thank you again for listening. Feel free to leave a rating and review if you liked the episode and to make sure that you tell a friend and help us get some more listeners because word of mouth is always the best way. We don't want to promote ourselves. We want you to promote us. I mean, we've just already done it quite a bit. (laughs) The words from our mouth have already extended quite as far as there are too many words from our mouths. (laughs) Not enough from yours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much again for listening to this week's episode. Until next week, geek geek out. out.